0: To better friendship now. And last week, Pastor Eric talked to us about about wisdom. He walked us through the book of Proverbs and talked about um, what kind of wisdom does God's word offer to be a great friend. And he showed us that great friends do these seven things great friends are committed to each other, great friends are trustworthy. They avoid conf- they address conflict, not avoid it. They make each other better. They use their words wisely. They forgive and rebuild, and they draw each other out. That is wisdom. Wisdom is, is, is how we are best to live our lives. But wisdom gets tested in real life because we all know that real life gets messy. About a year ago, I don't think I've told many of you this story, but about a year ago, do y'all remember when it was like super windy? You guys remember? Yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. It got real windy. And so the night after that windstorm, my family and I woke up and we stepped out into our front yard and this is what it looked like. That's that's my house. That's my car. That was my car. And that's a treat. And, and this this tree, this giant tree in my neighbor's yard, fell onto our driveway. And praise the Lord, it could have been so much worse. Nobody got hurt. Our house really didn't get damaged. Just our cars got super totaled. And overnight, literally overnight, my life became an actual mess. This was this was me. This was me and my family's reality. And so at this time. The friends in my life, in my family's life, they had a choice. Were they going to choose to be a great friend when things got messy? And thanks be to God, my friends did. And um, that day, uh, some of my friends, I think all of them are actually in this room tonight, um, they showed up at my house and they brought me lunch. How sweet is that? Um, I had other friends uh, show up and pick me up and drop me off at my house so I I would have a ride to church so um, I could pay to get a new car, you know? Um, And then um, we had friends and neighbors who showed up to our house with chainsaws and tools to help clear away all of the trees. And then there is a family at our church who showed up to my house, even though I told them not to, they showed up to my house with an extra. A car, and they handed me the keys and said, keep it for as long as you need to. That is friendship. And when my life looked like this, when my life was an actual mess, my friends had to wrestle with the question, will they choose to be a great friend? And my question for all of us tonight is, will you choose to be a great friend when life gets messy? One of the cool things about God's word is that it is so applicable, it is so helpful for us. And the people of the Bible actually know a fair amount about what to do when friendship gets messy. And so grab your Bibles, and I want you to turn with me to the book of Philemon. You're going to the New Testament. Um, It's way in the back. If you get to Hebrews and the Johns, you've gone too far. If you're in the Thessalonians and the Timothys, you haven't gone far enough. If you need a Bible, we have some in the back. And if you raise your hand, maybe Mac and Mo um, would be happy to grab you a Bible. Um, I want all of us to turn there because we are going to be in Philemon all night, and it's a really small book of the Bible. You might need to help each other because you might miss it. It's probably just one page in your Bible. And Philemon is a letter written by Paul after the life of Jesus. So after Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, um, Paul is is one of the early leaders of the church, and he writes this letter, and let's see how Paul... Well, let's see what Paul knows about friendship. So Philemon, there's only one chapter, verses 1 through 6. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Epiphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ." I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Big idea number one about friendship in the book of Philemon is this. Followers of Christ share the deepest friendships with fellow followers of Christ. Did you catch how in the first three verses of this text, there was one word that repeated over and over again, and that was the word our. Our brother, our fellow soldier, peace to you from God, our father. And that's because in Christ, we share a common identity as friends. In fact, we also share the most important thing in common that we ever could, and that's the Holy Spirit. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And in verse 6, that talks about our partnership and every good thing that we share. In the Greek language that this letter was originally written in, it has the root word of the Greek word koinonia. Everyone say koinonia. Koinonia. Koinonia means Fellowship means communion, a sharing. There's this idea that we are participating in something that we have in common. And for followers of Christ, what we have in common is our relationship with God, our Father, and with other believers. And friends, this is how I think Christian friendship should really be set apart from the world. We have a different understanding of friendship. We have a deeper understanding, in fact. Because the world thinks about friends and thinks about connections in terms of how many followers you have, right? How many viewers you have? How many um, people are commenting on your posts? But for the Christian, the Christian may have less friends in that sense. They might have um, not as wide of a breadth, but they have a deeper depth in each one of their relationships, And I hope and pray that this is one way that HSM feels different to you. How HSM feels different from from other friendships that you might experience in your life. Because at HSM, this is what we're, we're basing our community off of. Basing it off of God and his Holy Spirit. I pray that every Wednesday night, every single one of you students, at least for a minute, feel seen and known and loved. And that's why we gather together, together as a large group. That's why we worship side by side. That's why we open up God's word together. But that's also why we then encourage all of you to lean into your life groups. And each and every one of you are in a life group that's organized so that um, you have this group of people who you will eventually graduate with. But within those life groups and across those life groups, we are emphasizing relationships We are emphasizing very real community. And there's this idea, there's an expectation and an encouragement that you guys are going to walk with each other and speak into each other's lives and in your walks with God wherever you find yourself there. And you might be thinking, all right, Claire, well, that's really exciting um, for like half of my life group. But the other half of my life group, I don't really know. Like, I don't know if they pass the vibe check, you know? Or, I don't know, I feel like that's what you guys say. They don't pass the vibe check. Or, or you're like, man, I don't really relate to these people. Like, I don't think that we have the same problems. I don't feel like we are going through the same things. And that is a very, bless you, that's so good. Um, that is a valid fear. That's a valid fear. But can I tell you the truth? That your life group, is who God has given to you. Your life group is who God has chosen for you, whether you like it or not, and it's for the long haul. It's, it's, it's till your graduation day and beyond. And especially if there's someone in your life group who you, you don't know how, how well you guys get along, if you are both believers in Christ, you already share the most important thing that you ever could. Again, you share the Holy Spirit, you share the gospel. And I think more of us need this koinonia attitude in our lives and in our life groups. And so I'm gonna give every single one of you a life group challenge. Are you ready? Here's your challenge. Ask someone in your life group who you don't know well to share their story with you. Someone in your life group who you don't know as well, who maybe you haven't um, really connected yet, go up to them and say, hey, can we both come, up, come to HSM early next week and we can get pizza from the snack bar and sit on the couches and just share our stories with one another? Because when you get into closer proximity with people, when you lean into the people around you, proximity breeds empathy, breeds compassion. You have a deeper understanding for who that person is, why they think the things that they think, maybe why they act the way that they act. What could it do for your life group For our HSM family, for the people outside of this room who are not yet a part of our HSM community, what could it do if all of us leaned into each other and asked each other to share your stories with one another? See, Paul, writing Philemon, knew that him and Philemon had the most important thing in common, and that was fellowship in Christ. So much so that he spent the whole first part of his letter talking about that fellowship and about that partnership. Christian community is so essential. And I'm reading this book right now that um, I've really been loving. I'm reading it with, um, actually, Pastor Eric. Um, We're in the same uh, master's class together on the lines. And so we've been reading this book uh, called Living the Lord's Prayer. And on the lines, did you like that? Yeah. Um, It's called Living the Lord's Prayer. And this is what David Timms, the author, says. He says this. We dare go no further in spiritual formation until we decide once and for all firmly and unreservedly that we cannot love God if we do not love our brother, that we cannot be one with him if we disregard the unity of his body, that we cannot know the fellowship of the Trinity except that we enter fully into the Christian community. Christian community and fellowship, koinonia, is essential. But that leads us to our second big idea of tonight that is actually kind of a little bit of sad news for us, and that's this. As essential as Christian community is, because we are still in process, community will come with conflict. Because all of us are still dealing with sin, because God is still in the process of redeeming each and every one of us, we are imperfect, And therefore, our relationships are going to be imperfect. And therefore, community will come with conflict. And Paul and Philemon know this well. So let's pick back up in verse 8. Verses 8 through 11 say this. Therefore, because of the koinonia fellowship that we have, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. All right y'all. Here's the sitch. Here's the situation. Onesimus is a friend of Paul's. And Onesimus has come to faith in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. That's, that's amazing news. Shout out to Onesimus. Thank you, Marilyn. Yay. Yay. Onesimus has become a believer in Christ Jesus. But there's another layer to this story, and that's this. Onesimus is a slave. And he has run away from his master. And guess who his master is? Philemon. And so there's some tea. There's some, what's, what's going on here? <laughs> Sorry. There's some tea. What's going on here? Well, something that we need to keep in mind is that slavery in biblical Roman times is, is different from the chattel race-based slavery that you and I may be more familiar with here in our Western world today. In biblical Roman times, instead of slavery being based on race, it was usually based on economic status. And people actually would willingly become slaves because they owed a debt. So it was much more related to this idea of an indentured servant. And it, it was very common, and again, people willingly entered into that to pay off a debt. And while this passage in Philemon and other passages in the New Testament, they don't necessarily condemn slavery right away. But what I hope that you can see, especially in Philemon, is that you can see the early apostles, the early church leaders advocating for Christ's gospel to transform the first century household. That they are advocating that the gospel transform society as people in that time knew it. That Christ's gospel can and should change the way we relate to one another. And those principles of dignity, of respect, of every person being made in the imago Dei, the image of God, that those are the principles that we should take and see and apply today in our context And when we do that, I think one of the things that's so helpful about this book is that it's a book about friendship, and we actually see that the book of Philemon shows us three principles in dealing with conflict for us. Three principles in dealing with conflict today. And I think usually when it comes to conflict, if you want to think in your own brains right now, um, a time that you got in a fight with your friends, or maybe your friends got into a fight, I feel like when there's conflict, there's usually at least three groups involved in it. The first group are the herders, the herders. They're the people who are responsible for causing pain or hurt to others. I don't think you get um, into a conflict without a herder who hurts the hurt, someone who's been pained by someone else. And then I think, I don't know how, I don't know why, but there's usually a third group. There's usually a middle person, a middleman, someone caught in the middle, and I like to call them a mediator. And so as we continue through this book of Philemon, we're going to see three principles for conflict, three principles for conflict that speak to each of those groups. Group number one is the herder. The person who is responsible for causing hurt in the book of Philemon has to be Onesimus, right? I mean, he was Philemon's slave. He was the one who ran away. He's responsible for their broken relationship. And in Philemon 12, Paul says, I am sending him Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. And Onesimus decides to go back to Philemon. And I think what's really cool about that is that I don't think Onesimus had to do that. I think Onesimus could have talked himself out of it. I think he could have made himself feel better by not going over there. I think he could have said, hey, I'm a believer in Christ Jesus now. Like, I'm forgiven. There's grace. Like, I don't have to go back to Philemon. Like, I don't want to deal with that. I'm just going to move on, and Philemon will move on, and everything will be okay. But Onesimus does not do that. He returns to Philemon. And I think I think that there would be so much more fear there than what we might think, because even though slavery was different in those days, I still think the consequences for a runaway slave who would have been seen as rebellious would have been life-threatening if he got caught. And that's the principle for those who have been the herder. If you have hurt someone in this room, if you're in this room and there's someone that you've hurt, The principle we take from Philemon is to take ownership for your mistakes and ask for forgiveness. Take ownership of your mistakes and ask for forgiveness. This will take bravery, friends. But I promise you, pride will cost you more than humility ever will. Pride will harden your heart. Pride will distance yourself from God and from others, and ultimately, you will pay way more than humbly saying, "I'm sorry for what I did to you. Will you forgive me?" But it's not just the herder who has responsibilities in a conflict situation. the hurt also do. And the person who's hurt in this situation is probably Philemon. I mean... Onesimus ran away. He's probably super upset, Philemon is. He's probably angry. He's upset. And I can't help but wonder, like, when Philemon was reading this letter, it probably would have been really tempting him for, for him to think, really, God? Like, you saved Onesimus? Like, don't you know how Onesimus hurt me? Don't you know what he did? And you're saving him, and now we're brothers in Christ? I don't know what to do with that. And this is what Paul encourages Philemon with as he's feeling that way. Verses 15 and 16, Paul says, Perhaps the reason he, Onesimus, was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Onesimus in the Greek means useful. And there's kind of a play on words here where where Paul is saying Philemon, Onesimus now as a believer in Christ is not just useful for you as a slave, but even better, he's useful to you because he's a fellow friend and brother in Christ. And so the principle for the hurt, if you're in this room and there's someone who's hurt you, the principle from Philemon is this, be honest but quick to offer forgiveness. Be honest about your feelings. If someone has really hurt you, don't feel like you have to sweep it under the rug. Don't feel like you have to make excuses for them. Be honest. But then be quick to offer forgiveness. Because I think in the same way that pride will cost you more than humility ever will, bitterness will cost you more than forgiveness ever will. And forgiveness, I think, doesn't always mean that you go to being best friends with that person, that you then spend all your time together. But I think forgiveness does mean that you can welcome and you can see that person with peace. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What I love about this verse is that it recognizes that you can't control other people and their decisions and their reactions. But it does tell us that we can and God commands us to control our decisions and our reactions. And if someone has hurt you in this room, which I think we've all experienced being hurt, and your reaction is to then hurt that person, your reaction is to get into a fight with that person, to blast them on social media, or to start gossiping about that person, you are not living at peace so far as it depends on you. And I fear that we are responsible for living with a lack of peace with far more people than we like to admit. And this is hard stuff, you guys. But again, David Tim, in his book, David Tim's, he says this, we cannot grow in grace by withdrawing from others. I love that. It's hard and it's messy to have friendship because, again, it comes with conflict. But we cannot grow in grace by isolating ourselves. We have to be in community. And then finally, the last group involved in conflict is usually a mediator. It's someone in the middle. And in Philemon, the the middleman, the mediator, is Paul. But something that we notice about Paul is that he doesn't just insert himself unnecessarily into somebody else's business. So the principle for us is not to just go around and become the mediator in people's conflict, people that we don't even know. But when you find yourself in the middle, that is when you have to wonder, how do I now act as a mediator? And this is what Paul chooses to do, verses 13 and 14. I would have liked to keep him, Onesimus, with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Verse 17, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. The principle for being a mediator in conflict, is to encourage reconciliation. Reconciliation is a big word, it means restoration. It means where there once was separation, that you work towards rebuilding that bridge. And as a mediator, that's what you can encourage. It reminds me of, of two phrases that I think are really helpful when you find yourself as a mediator of conflict. The first one is something that Pastor Eric taught me. Eric taught me that when someone comes to me and they're really upset at somebody else, he taught me to try to stop them as soon as I can early on and say, Hey, because I care for both of you, I am happy to listen to you as long as you commit to then talking directly to that person then you're not like letting that person just vent and and somehow um, becoming in the middle, but you're being proactive about encouraging that person to talk directly to the person that they're upset with. I also think a lot of times we are actually the mediators in in our groups of friends. And sometimes it's really easy for, for gossip to happen. And I think we have to become a lot more comfortable by saying things like, I'm feeling uncomfortable talking about this without this person here. Can we change the subject so that we can talk to them directly? Friends, this all takes bravery. But being a mediator is the most opportune place to be a peacemaker. And because all of this is so difficult, here's the key. And it's your last big idea for tonight. Love equips us to navigate conflict. Love equips us. Philemon, verse 9, remember, said, I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. And what is love? 1 John three sixteen. this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And Jesus' own words in John 15, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life, For one's friends. Friends, Jesus is the greatest friend any of us could ever have. And I know that sounds really cheesy, but this truth will free you. This truth will give you an abundance of love for all of your other friendships. Because then you're not looking for your friends to give you the affirmation and the security and the recognition and the love that only God can give you. And so you show up to your friendships. Already having the greatest friend that you could ever have. See, Paul said to Philemon, whatever Onesimus owed, charge it to me. But Jesus said to us, to humanity, the death that you owed because of your sin, I charged it to myself. I paid the debt. I experienced the wrath of God. I defeated the grave so that you would no longer be an enemy of God, but you would be a friend of God. Christ is our ultimate mediator, my friends. And because of that, friendship is the perfect arena to practice laying down your life for others. It's the place where we can demonstrate true life change that is only possible through the Holy Spirit because the world cancels and alienates and turns relationships into chaos, but Jesus' love forgives and reconciles and enters into our chaos to become our peacemaker. Friends, if you want to experience better friendship now, you have to let Jesus lead the way. Because when things get messy, will you take ownership of your mistakes and ask for forgiveness? Will you be honest but quick to offer forgiveness? And will you encourage reconciliation? And will you remember that through all of this, love, Jesus, equips us in friendship? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for all of my friends in in this room. And God, as I, as I think about our, our world, I'm thinking about the people who have been devastated by the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. God, I'm thinking about the people who are suffering globally and locally. Oh, Lord, we cry out to you, how desperately do we need your friendship? And God, how much more do we need to be the kind of friends that would show your love into this world? God, I pray that in our life groups we would be vulnerable, that we would be open, and that we would lean into the friendship that we have with you and with each other. God, we love you.